everyone, and welcome to The Darkest Hour. I'm your host, Amanda Jane. Every now and then I come across a story, or several, that I'm hesitant to read aloud. They're the kind of stories or experiences that come with a distinct warning that simply discussing such things can in turn make said experience worse. Ultimately, I move forward with these stories because I understand that the people who wrote them are asking for help. Or oftentimes, they're offering their own help to others. Like many other things, where there is risk, there's reward. Whether you're here to help or simply heed the warnings, you've come to the right place. So, let's get started, shall we? I've posted this in the Wendigo community that I'm in, but I also wanted to share it here to see if anyone else has any intel that they can help me with since the other community seems to be pretty quiet. I realize how unbelievable this story is or might be, but I assure you it's entirely true. I've had countless experiences with the supernatural since I was four. I'm 33 now. But this is one of the most terrifying ones I've had. I've looked at some of the stories in this community to see if there's anything I haven't discovered yet. I thought that if I shared my encounter here, there might be someone who has some information that could help. Please don't comment if you don't believe in the supernatural. I've seen skeptics plastering their two cents on some posts. I'm looking for legitimate information. My questions are at the end of this, so thanks in advance. I had an experience with a Wendigo this fall, in early October in northern Minnesota, in a state forest, very close to, if not on, a reservation. I've always heard that speaking of them can draw them to you, but I hadn't thought of or listened to any Wendigo stories any time close to my encounter. I was staying with some dear friends, I'll call them M and C. I had walked down to the camper from the house with my miniature dachshund, Ebony, around midnight, and I found that I needed to set some things up, primarily the heater. By the time I was done getting everything in order, it was approximately 1.30. I never thought to lock the door because, really, I figured it's the middle of the woods, so there's nothing to worry about. I was wrong. I had closed the curtains, thank God, and I was having trouble falling asleep because my anxiety was going mad. M and C's dogs were barking outside, and their geese wouldn't stop honking. Ebony, who usually falls asleep under the covers, was sitting on my hip while I laid on my side, and I could feel her turning her head back and forth, like she was trying to track something outside. I tried tucking her under the blankets to calm her down, but she kept returning to her perch on my hip. I have no idea how long I laid there. I would say at least 40 minutes, when all of a sudden I heard Em's voice outside the camper. Anybody in there? Hmm. And 
then what sounded like claws being dragged down the side of the camper. I almost called back to her when I realized, number one, she and C would both be fast asleep by now. And number two, M knew that I was in there. She wouldn't ask if anybody was. Suddenly, I noticed everything had gone absolutely silent outside. The dogs and the birds had stopped carrying on. The gusts of wind had even stopped. It was the kind of silence you hear about in horror movies. How the woods go mute when something evil is in the area. Then, another thought hit me. Ebony would be losing her shit and barking at the door if that had been anything human. She was frozen on my hip, dead quiet, shaking. I didn't dare move, but I was really starting to have to pee, and I remembered that I hadn't locked the door. I had no idea how long I laid there debating whether I should get up and use the bathroom and lock the door, but it felt like an eternity. In reality, I guessed it was 10 or 15 minutes. I thought it may have been a skinwalker at first, but I remembered. They don't mimic the voices of your loved ones to lure you into the woods. Wendigos do. I knew these creatures, demons, whatever they are, could lure humans out of their abodes if they made eye contact with you. And everything in me was screaming to make sure I didn't look outside. I made doubly sure that I didn't look through any cracks in the curtains as I walked softly to the front of the camper and very slowly turned the lock, praying and holding my breath. I made sure to keep my eyes away from the windows as I crawled back to bed and pulled Ebony close. She finally stayed under the blankets. I snuck a peek at my phone for the time before I laid down, figuring it had to be close to 3 a.m., the witching hour. It was 2.30. As soon as I laid down, the wind kicked back up. M and C's basset hounds erupted into howls as they came running down to the camper, a little ways into the trees, and the geese started their noise again. I heard the bassets come back to the camper, barking a few more times before they laid down outside the door to protect me. I didn't get out of bed again that night. I told M and C what happened the next morning. I think I was hoping M would say that she had come down to check on me and Ebony, but she confirmed what I already knew. They'd gone to bed as soon as I'd left the house. I said a prayer over their house, the camper, and all of us the following night, and had an uneventful night, thank God. I also spoke with another guy who's familiar with the supernatural to see if he knew any more about Wendigo. I'm not sure how accurate the information he gave me was or if it's reliable at all. But when I asked him why Ebony hadn't made a peep, I had assumed it was because she was absolutely petrified. He said a Wendigo can control animals to keep them from alerting their owners about its presence. He also told me that, one, they can't enter houses that aren't made of wood directly from the forest they're hunting in. 
tents and campers included, because they consist of man-made material. Two, a lock is useless. They can unlock and open a door so that they can try to lure you outside. And three, they typically stay in the woods. But they will come into a smaller town, just never into a city. I had never heard any of what he told me before, so again, I can't speak to accuracy. But I also haven't researched the claims either. He also advised me never to go outside to pee at night, if I ever go camping, and to bring a bucket or something to use to make sure that I always close tent flaps. He said if the flaps were open, we could see outside, and the Wendigo could make eye contact with you and draw you out. After leaving MNC's to go to my father's house for a few days, I had the distinct feeling of being watched when I took Ebony outside after dark. My father lives three hours away from MNC, but his house is in the country. I told myself that it was only the fear from the experience and what I know about the Wendigo triggering an overactive imagination. I never heard anything, and I watched Ebony's behavior very closely, and she didn't act like she had in the camper. I'm moving back to that area from Canada, and this experience has been weighing heavily on my mind. I've been trying to find any information about warding them off, or if they have a home hunting range like cougars do, or if they just move on from a region. My prayers did work the second night, so I figure I can pray over the property. I also have holy water that I can use, since the Wendigo is an evil spirit that possesses people or physically manifests. Frustratingly, a majority of what comes up in searches is utter garbage, like Wikipedia. Does anyone know if a Wendigo stays in one area? Are my concerns about it coming back when I move into my cabin... Are they warranted? Or am I worrying excessively? Do you have any tips for warding them off? Thanks again for any information you can offer. My boyfriend and I were on a late night drive. Me being in the passenger seat. It was dark out and the area that we were in was surrounded by woods. We came to a stop at a red light and sat, listening to music. The light turned green, and he drove ahead. All of a sudden, I couldn't see anything. I couldn't see streetlights that would have been ahead, or the headlights on the cars illuminating the road. Just black. I blinked so many times, thinking it was just my eyes or something. But there wasn't a thing that I could see for a good three or four seconds. After that time, everything was visible again. The streetlights, headlights, and the woods in my peripherals were back. I tried explaining it away as my eyes playing tricks on me, until my boyfriend spoke up, and he asked, Did you see anything just now? I could have written it off had it just been me who saw it, but we both did, and we haven't been able to explain it. This is a road that we always take. Nothing like this has ever happened until that night. Is there some explanation for something like this happening? Has anyone else experienced this before? 
When I was about five or six years old, my sisters and I used to share a room. Most nights, my older sister and I would see two distinct figures. She would see a lady in white standing in the doorway directly in front of my bed. I would see a man with red eyes, or at least I thought it was a man, as all I could see were the red eyes. Though my sister could see the lady, she said that she never spoke to her. She just stood there, getting closer every night. While I, on the other hand, would see a pair of bright red eyes staring at me from the closet. A disembodied masculine voice would whisper, JJ, come to the closet and play. Over and over. Sometimes my older sister and I would jump in each other's beds and hide under the blankets until morning. This was going on for months until my dad decided to get the house blessed again. We never saw them after that. I'm 24 now and my wife and I recently had a baby. I've been having weird dreams recently. They'd always start with me standing in my son's room, staring at the closet and the familiar set of red eyes and stare back at me. My most recent dream, he actually spoke. His voice a lot deeper and booming than I remember. You didn't come play with me, but your son may be the one to play. He said before I woke up. I called my dad and I told him about the whole thing. He told me he remembers me telling him about that man years before. But then, just then, he went silent for about five minutes. When he spoke again, he recounted seeing the same figure as a child. He also told me he remembered having the same dream after I was born. I've blessed my house twice already. I can only protect my son so much. I just hope, I really, really hope, that he doesn't go play in the closet. I may never see him again. Since my separation from the Navy three years ago now, I've been working part-time doing security at the local bars and clubs. I recently just finished my last two days, thankfully, because I now have more time to spend with my five-month-old son and wife without feeling drained from working six or seven days a week. Don't ask how I did it. I don't know. A few months back, I was working at one of the aforementioned local bars. It so happened to be one of my favorite spots to work. Good food, decent pay, all-around amazing people. There are hardly any fights, so my job mostly consists of escorting or throwing people out, when they're too blitzed, or kicking out sailors after curfew. Well, you get it. I was having a good time and chatting with drunk customers. Then my wife called me. That's weird, I thought. It's 2 a.m. I'm not gonna lie, I got a little anxious. I mean, we do have a freshly buttered baby in the house, so I'm sure you can understand. She told me that she couldn't sleep because of a nightmare. I finally let my breath go. I told her I couldn't talk too much on the clock, so I told her to message me. We began texting each other and I asked her about her nightmare. I wish I hadn't. She began to describe the reoccurring nightmare, beginning with her sleeping alone in our room, 
she woke up to a man sitting on our bed. Frozen in fear, she can't say anything, but he begins to speak. You know, for a long time, I've been watching you. I want your baby. When he finally turns to her, she can only make out a pair of red eyes. I then asked what his voice sounded like. She said his voice was so deep, it sounded like something that couldn't have come from a human. She continued to tell me the rest. He then walks into my son's room, grabs him, and then disappears. She'd been having that dream around the same time that I was having mine. It's been months since either of us have dreamt about him, although recently my closets now have a very heavy and dark feeling to this day, like he's just waiting for the day to strike. Fast forward to now. We introduced the new year, and things were feeling pretty light until two nights ago. My wife began talking in her sleep around 3 a.m., Normally, I don't wake up until four, as that's when my son decides to be an ass and wants to play with me. She kept saying, No, no, don't take him. He's not yours. I began feeling that sense of dread and malice from my dreams about the red-eyed man in the closet. Same as when I was young, and still the same now. I jumped up, scaring my wife and running to my son's room, only to find the room a lot darker than usual. Even with the blinds open and his nightlight on, the worst part, the absolute thing that filled me with fear, rage, and confusion, was that his closet was wide open. A five-month-old infant cannot climb out of their crib and open two heavy fucking doors. After seeing that, I told my wife to pack her bag, at least for a few days. They're currently staying at my in-law's house on the countryside. Being from a very traditional Japanese family, I know that they have a lot of talisman and protective barriers around the house. I've been home alone for two days and two nights. I do feel that feeling of being watched at times. Yet I try to apply logic first, being a veteran and all. But sometimes logic really cannot make sense of the things that go on in my house. I have a priest and a shaman coming to my house today. I hope it works for now. I was making something to eat for me and my ex-wife. It was late at night and I was asking her what she would want. She answered and said, I'm going to charge my phone and come back. A few minutes later, as I waited in the kitchen, she came back. She didn't say anything, but moved out of the way as I was pulling things out of the fridge. I spoke to her, but she didn't reply. And at the time, it made sense, since she was addicted to some app game. So after the food was done, I noticed she was no longer in the kitchen. I walked back to the bedroom and said, Hey, why are you back here? I just said the food was ready. She said, I've been back here. Long story short, she said after she went to the bedroom originally, 
She never came back. I saw her there. I talked to her. No response from her, which I explained was normal. So we gathered our food and discussed what happened. Apparently I was in the kitchen, alone, with someone who looked like her and semi-responded like her, but she wasn't there. So I saw a woman who resembled my ex, and I interacted with her, but it wasn't her. I still can't figure out who or what I spoke to. I'm a female, and I was 23 at the time of this story. These events took place in 2010, and I finally thought it was time to share the story of the horrifying events I went through with the demon in the basement. At the time, I'd been on the lookout for a new place to live, as my roommate had a cat, and I could no longer deal with my allergies. When I moved in with her, I was living in a dingy motel room, so having a roommate in a proper house was a serious upgrade. I thought the cat wouldn't be too much of an issue, but it was not to be. Being an animal lover, I could never even think about suggesting to someone to get rid of their beloved pet, so I opted to move out instead. I'd been searching for a new place for a couple of weeks when I came across an ad on Craigslist describing a room for rent on a waterfront property. It was surprisingly affordable, and I was very intrigued. There were no photos on the ad, but the address was pretty close by. So I took a drive over to the place to look at the property, and it was beautiful. It definitely looked lived in and well-maintained, so I called the number on the ad later that afternoon to make an inquiry. This is when I first came across Crazy Patty. At first... She seemed extremely friendly on the phone. We laughed and joked and got along very well. She said that she'd be delighted to meet me and for me to come over any time to view the property and the room for rent. So I made an appointment for the next day. I pulled up in the driveway and was greeted by Patty, waving warmly at me from the front porch. She was a middle-aged woman in her 40s. She had a kind of hippie-ish clothing style. She wore thick glasses and long, frizzy brown hair. She was shorter than me by a couple of inches, and she spoke in a kind of nasally baby voice. Now, before I continue, I'd like to give a little background on the women in my family. We're all gifted in the spiritual realm. The gift can be traced back to my great-great-grandmother, who could read tea leaves. She was extremely gifted and did readings for her entire life, until one day she finished her tea and read her son's death. Needless to say, she never read tea leaves again. Since then, the women on my mother's side have inherited some kind of special gift, whether it's clairvoyance, clairsentience, or something of that nature. Funnily enough, no one since my great-great-grandmother has had the ability to read tea leaves. I was lucky or unlucky enough to be clairvoyant, meaning I can see and hear, even smell things from the spirit world. These things happen very rarely to me, and at this point, I just considered my abilities a bit of an annoying quirk, 
and I had not yet accepted them as part of who I am. Even though I was aware of my gifts and the spirit world, I was still a very skeptical person. I always tried, and even wanted, to find rational explanations for things before I came to any conclusions about any kind of spiritual activity. Before these events, I had never experienced any kind of malevolent or demonic being. Since my phone conversation with Patty had gone so well, I was expecting us to get along just as well in real life. As I walked up the stairs of the porch to shake her hand, I immediately noticed her eyes. I can't fully explain how they looked, only that they were off. She said how nice it was to meet me and shook my hand. I immediately got icy chills down my spine. I managed to smile and said it was great to meet her too. She took me inside and to be fair, the house was beautiful. It had a massive living room with huge skylights and there were lush plants everywhere. The kitchen was ultra modern and sparkling clean. There was also a huge two-story deck out back, fully kitted out with furniture, a bar, and a fire pit. The deck opened out to a private beach on a lake. I immediately fell in love with the house. Patty took me downstairs to the finished basement, where the room for rent was. The basement consisted of four rooms, a large living room with a pool table, a bathroom, a smaller living room, and a bedroom. The rooms for rent were the bedroom and the smaller living room. Apart from being a little bit dark and without a huge amount of light, the rooms for rent were lovely. They were clean and fully furnished. Patty was extremely nice to me, and she seemed very excited to show me around, but something still seemed off about her. Despite the uneasiness I felt, I decided that I loved the house, and the next day, we went through with all the relevant paperwork. I paid my deposit, and before you know it, I was all moved in. At the time, I had no family where I was living. One side of my family was in Europe, where I'd just moved from at the beginning of the summer, or all the way down in the southern part of the United States. So I was feeling a little lonely, but I was optimistic. Patty worked during the day and I worked at night at the bar, so we rarely ran into each other. At first, this arrangement was perfect and I was settling in nicely. I had no issues until one night, about a weekend, I decided to cook myself dinner. I had a night off, my first since moving in with Patty, and I was dying to use the gorgeous kitchen. Growing up, I was always taught to clean as I go, so I did just that. I heard Patty's key in the front door and greeted her as she walked into the kitchen. My smile flattened as I saw the expression on her face. She looked enraged, and she yelled at me. What the hell are you doing? Her brow was furrowed, and her lips were pulled back in a snarl. I was completely shocked, and my body froze for a moment before I answered shakily, that I was just cooking dinner. I tried to appease her by offering her some, but she swelled like an angry toad and screamed that I had destroyed her kitchen. Now, my dinner was fairly simple, and I'd been cleaning as I went along. The only thing that was dirty was one pan, 
which was already soaking in soapy water. I explained that I obviously had every intention of cleaning it up, but she screeched again, stomped down the hall, and slammed her bedroom door. I quickly cleaned up everything and made sure that the place was spotless before taking my plate down to my bedroom and eating down there so I didn't run into her again. After that, things got worse. Patty was no longer friendly to me and looked at me like I was just a gross insect that she longed to squash. I tried desperately to look for somewhere else to live, but I lived in a tourist area and it was a seasonal town. It was coming into winter and many businesses had shut down and residents moved out of state. I could find nowhere else to rent that I could afford. I even contacted my old roommate, but because of a sudden family issue, she'd moved back in with her parents. I kept looking for weeks, but I found nothing. As the weeks went by, it became apparent that Patty didn't want me there. She wanted no trace of a roommate in her house. She wanted to collect the money, and that was it. I tried to stay out of her way by doing my household chores and emerging from the basement when she was out of the house. On my night shift, I went into work to eat dinner so that I didn't have to use the kitchen. I made sure to only buy microwave dinners for the nights that I couldn't afford to eat out. Every time I had to come upstairs and Patty was there, I would be met with her intense glare and those eyes that continued to be off somehow. At this point in time, my living situation had started to affect me physically. I was constantly exhausted. My skin was paler. I even became very skittish. It was after this change in me started to take hold that things in the basement started happening. Things would go missing and then turn up. At first, I just put this down to forgetfulness, which I'm prone to. But one day, something happened that made me incredibly uneasy. See, I always keep my work shoes in a specific spot when I come downstairs. I'd been called in for a day shift last minute, and I was getting my uniform on. On my way out, I went to grab my shoes, but they weren't there. Now, this was something I was not forgetful about. I always kept my shoes in this specific spot because Patty didn't want me dirtying up the carpet. I went upstairs to check and see if I'd left them up there, and I hadn't. I looked everywhere for them, and I couldn't find them anywhere. Not putting it past Patty to do something mean like take my shoes, I went back downstairs to grab a different pair, only to stop dead in my tracks. Right there, in their normal spot, were my shoes. My heart leaped out of my chest. What was going on? I knew I was forgetful at times, but they definitely weren't there a minute ago, were they? There had to be an explanation. Patty was at work, so I knew it wasn't her, and it was at that moment that the thought crept into my mind. Was there someone else in the house? Terrified, I grabbed my shoes and I ran upstairs. I grabbed my keys and immediately left the house, locking the door behind me. I wondered if I should call the police, but what would I tell them? I found my work shoes right where I left them. I thought about telling Patty, but the thought of telling her that something had bothered me like that 
would only give her ammunition to torment me further. So I didn't tell anyone. After work, I came home to Patty eating her dinner and a mess in the kitchen. Luckily, I had the foresight to grab some food to go from the bar, so I crept in as quietly as possible and just went downstairs to eat, as I always did. I turned on the light in my room, and for a split second I thought I saw a dark figure in the far corner of the room. I did a double take, my heart pounding. I had to be going nuts. The stress of this place was starting to make me hallucinate. Satisfied but still a little uneasy with my explanation, I turned on my TV and began to eat my dinner. As I ate, I was still convinced I saw flutters of movement coming from that corner of the room, just out of my sight. But every time I looked, nothing. This mysterious figure would start making regular appearances out of the corner of my eye. But again, when I tried to look, there would be nothing there. I thought I was losing my mind, and I became even more withdrawn. It was after a few months of this happening that the dreams started. I would be having a perfectly normal dream. Then all of a sudden, I'd have the feeling of being strangled by a faceless man. I would be fighting him off, and I would always wake myself up by screaming. I would wake up sweating, and my heart would be pounding. The worst part was, my throat would be sore, and I never knew if I had really been screaming or not. I would like to think that if I was, Patty would run down, but that was unlikely. I would start having these dreams about once or twice a month. Then, as it came closer into the fall of the following year, they started happening more regularly. Once a week, twice a week, every other day. I was feeling completely broken down mentally, emotionally, and physically. I was a shell of my former self. At this point, you're probably wondering why I stayed at Crazy Patty's house for as long as I did. Well... For those of you who have never experienced emotional or mental abuse, consider yourself lucky. It is extremely powerful. Patty used a variety of techniques, including manipulation, intimidation, and gaslighting, to ensure that I stayed where I was. She hated me there, but she wanted the money. She literally had me convinced that I wouldn't find anywhere else as nice as her place for the price I was paying, and that no one would put up with me anyways. Up to this point, I had not considered my unsettling experiences at Patty's house to be demonic. I'd put them down to a side effect of being so stressed and beaten down. Until one night, as usual, I'd eaten my dinner out of a to-go box in my bedroom. I was sitting on my bed with my laptop in my lap. I'd been watching some funny videos online when all of a sudden I couldn't take a breath. It felt like my chest was being constricted by an invisible grip. I went to move my hands up to my throat to check for swelling or something, but I couldn't move my arms. I was completely paralyzed. It was then that I finally saw the figure in the corner 
Its face was covered with a hood, but it lifted its head just enough for me to catch a glimpse of its face. Its eyes were huge and bulbous, much like the milky pupilless eyes of an anglerfish. It had no other features except for those eyes and that smile, that toothy smile full of uneven, rotting teeth, a smile that extended beyond the boundaries of its face. Think of Fred from that seriously creepy episode of Courage the Cowardly Dog. My heart stopped. As soon as I saw this figure full on, it disappeared. I finally understood what was happening. I was being attacked. Somehow, I fought the pressure, and it subsided. This ordeal couldn't have lasted for longer than ten seconds or so, but it felt like much longer. I was finally able to draw a breath as I lay on my bed, panting as if I'd just been drowning. I immediately jumped up and dug into my junk drawer. I found a few white candles, some sage, and a few crystals. I lit the white candles for protection. I lit the sage to purify the room, and I kept my crystals in my hand. Needless to say, I did not sleep much that night. After this incident, I continued to keep sage lighting at all times when I was in the room awake, and things settled down for a while. It wasn't until Halloween night that the crescendo of my experience peaked. Cliché, I know, but think about it. It was, and still is, believed that the veil to the spirit world is at its thinnest on All Hallows' Eve, making it easier for spirits to enter our world. I had been working that night, and I'd gotten home around 1 a.m. Exhausted, I fell right to sleep, only to get that strangling sensation some hours later. But this time it felt different. This time it felt more real. In my dream, the entity that was attacking me had grabbed me by my throat. In the past, I had not seen its face while it was doing this. I finally got a full-on view of its face. I could see the cracks on its rotten teeth. I could see the pale blood vessels in its grotesque eyes. And I could smell its rotten breath. I felt a scream coming, but I couldn't get it out. In my dream, I fought and fought desperately, trying to escape its grasp. It picked me up by the throat and slammed me into the wall behind me. I kept fighting it with all my might until I finally woke up. I was sweating and panting, tears streaming down my face. I looked at the clock. It was only 3 a.m., but as soon as I looked at the clock, my blood froze in my veins. Not because it was 3 a.m., the traditional witching hour, but it was then that I realized I was not laying in my bed. I was sitting up against the wall. I leaped out of bed and ran into the bathroom, afraid I was going to be sick. Luckily, my stomach held, and I ended up splashing some cold water on my face. It was only when I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror that I had to stifle a scream. 
My neck was bruised and scratched, like I had been strangled. Without even thinking about how late it was, I called my boss in absolute hysterics. The bar I worked at was attached to a hotel, and I pleaded with him to let me sleep in one of the rooms that night. He did, and I decided right then and there that I'd be moving out of Crazy Patty's house. I arrived back the next day to pack up what few belongings I had. After I had everything all packed up, I noticed her bedroom door was open. This was highly unusual, as she always kept it locked when she wasn't there. Thinking maybe her car was in the shop and she was there, I went over to tell her I was leaving. But she wasn't there. I went to close the door when something on the floor caught my eye. Normally, it's out of character for me to snoop in somebody else's room. But something in my gut just told me to check out what it was that caught my eye. On the floor was a planchette that had been broken in half, with the glass shattered all over the floor. The glint of the glass is what caught my eye. On the other side of the room was a board, the Ouija board. It finally clicked that it had been Patty that set this entity on me. I stormed out. I was fiddling with my house keys, trying to get it off the keychain, to leave it on the counter with a note that I'd left her, when I noticed movement on the deck outside. I looked up and was absolutely horrified to see Patty standing on the other side of the glass door, staring right at me, completely naked. She had her hands on the glass, and she seemed to be pressing her face against the glass. It was then that I noticed her eyes. Her eyes had always been off to me, but I finally understood why. Instead of her usual slightly off eyes, staring right back at me were the milky, bulbous eyes of the entity. I quickly turned around, ran to my car, and tore out of the driveway, and never returned. Things got better after that. My anxiety subsided, my face filled out again, I started to be a lot more social. After a few weeks, I moved into an apartment with two girls I worked with, and I got along with them really well. I never saw Crazy Patty again. As of telling the story, almost 12 years have passed, and I'm no longer easily beaten down by manipulation tactics. I've become a lot more assertive, and I won't tolerate any attempt to deceive or manipulate me. I've also been practicing white magic in the form of plants and cooking, and I've embraced my clairvoyance as part of who I am. I'm happy to say that I've never experienced anything like I did at Crazy Patty's house. If I get even a whiff of a negative entity, I get the hell out of Dodge. Stat. All in all, I am a much healthier, stronger, and happier person than I was all those years ago. But late at night, I still get the horrifying image of Patty staring into my soul with the dead eyes of the demon in the basement.
And so we've reached the end of tonight's episode. But be sure to join me every Friday night for a brand new one. Thank you to everyone for listening. And also, thank you so much to everyone who shared their stories. If you're not already, be sure to hit that subscribe button, tap the notification bell, and if you liked this video, give it a like. I've updated the handy-dandy exit screen slide to show all of the Darkest Hour social media handles, so check it out. And if you have stories like these, I'd love to share them. Send them to me, amanda, darkest hour at gmail.com. Stay spooky.